This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Live on tape from the Ed Sullivan Theater in New York City, it's Stephen Colbert! Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. Folks... You know, the, the more we learn about the insurrection on January 6th, the more it becomes clear that we have two political parties in this country. You have the Democratic Party and the Anti-Democratic Party. Because <laughs> only one of these parties cares whether you get a vote in an election. Take the case of former chief of staff and clinically depressed potato, (laughs) Mark Meadows. Meadows, at first, agreed to cooperate with the January 6th congressional investigation, then quickly unagreed. So last night, the House voted to hold Meadows in criminal contempt. (laughs) Yes. Hell yes. Criminal contempt. And the rest of us can just keep holding him in regular contempt. But only two Republicans voted for it. Kinzinger and Cheney. Every other Republican, every other one, doesn't want you to know what happened on January 6th. Take Ohio congressman and mime who will not shut the up, Jim Jordan. Jordan wanted to let his buddy Meadows off the hook. Mark Meadows is our former colleague. He is a good man, and he is my friend. And this is, this is as wrong as it gets. No. As wrong as it gets is ignoring sexual abuse in the showers at Ohio State. <laughs> Look it up. Never forget. It's not just Jordan. The Republican caucus is an accessory to this coup. And we recently got more evidence of that in the form of text messages to Mark Meadows, like this one received on January 7th from a Republican lawmaker. Yesterday was a terrible day. Well, I mean, at least we can all agree on that. (laughs) We tried everything we could in our objection to the six states. I'm sorry nothing worked. Oh, so he regrets not being able to drown Lady Liberty in a bathtub. (laughs) It's like sending a sympathy card that says, my deepest condolences that you lived. I was rooting for the tumor. (laughs) Now, yes, it's not a good card to have sent. The committee released a disturbing text from another Republican lawmaker sent to Meadows the day after the election. Here's an aggressive strategy. Why can't the states of Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and other Republican-controlled state houses declare this is BS, where conflicts and election not called that night, and just send their own electors to vote and have it go to the SCOTUS? An aggressive strategy is a bit of an understatement. It's like an arsonist saying, Your Honor, I don't think of it as burning the house down. 
I think of it as an aggressive Marie Kondoing. <laughs> the house did not spark joy, so I sparked a box of oily rags. So, who sent these messages? Well, the identity of these lawmakers was not being disclosed. So, people on Twitter are now guessing names like Paul Gozar, Jim Jordan, Devin Nunes, Matt Gates, Ted Cruz, and Josh Hawley. And you can play him the home version in the fun new game, Clueless. <laughs> these messages got a little... Got a little... There you go. These messages have the ring of unfiltered truth because they're taken from Mark Meadows' two personal phones. And nothing says innocent like a second cell phone. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, what's that, honey? You found my second phone in the closet? Oh, that's just my backup I love you phone. <laughs> in case I can't find the first one to tell you how much I was not sleeping with the babysitter last night. <laughs> Hello, I love my wife, who's right here in the room with me right now. Goodbye, wrong number. <laughs> this whole attempted coup was based on the former president's endless lies about non-existent massive voter fraud. And now the Associated Press has shown just how big a liar he is. They conducted a review of every potential case of voter fraud in the six battleground states that he disputed and found fewer than 475, a number that would have made no difference in the 2020 presidential election. Wow. That's going to make Rudy Giuliani yelling about fraud next to a dildo shop seem ridiculous. <laughs> that's, that's, that's sad. It's sad. Sad. Crazy. Sad, sad. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Crazy. The few cases the AP did find could not throw the outcome into question, even if all the potentially fraudulent votes were for Biden, which they were not, and even if those ballots were actually counted, which in most cases they were not. Okay, but are we really supposed to believe a bunch of reporters on something as important as an election? None of them have ever invented a pillow. <laughs> of course, it's not like there was no fraud at all. In fact, three Republican residents of the village's retirement community in Florida were recently arrested for casting multiple votes in 2020. Yeah. Gotcha! Ah, uh, gotcha! Let's see the election fraudsters the GOP's been hunting for. My God! It's the criminal masterminds known as the Mahjong Mafia. <laughs> now, if you haven't heard of the Villages, it's the largest retirement community in the world. Imagine if Central Florida made love to a golf cart on a pickleball court and had 100,000 very old babies. <laughs> and these MAGA retirees could be going straight from bocce breakfast to the early jailbird special because they voted in Florida while also casting ballots in their original home states, which is a third-degree felony punishable by up to five years in prison. Yeah. Five years. Five years. Five. They'll have to live a life of institutional meals and lights out at eight sharp. <laughs> so pretty much the same. <laughs> what else is going on? Oh, in COVID news, there is unfortunately still no vaccine for stupid. And we saw that firsthand yesterday here in Queens, New York, when reportedly a group of anti-vaxxers staged a sit-in at a cheesecake factory. It's ironic, because the healthiest thing you can get at a cheesecake factory is COVID. <laughs> After the... Oh, where they got the... Uh, cheeseburger spring rolls? 
After the maskless crusader showed up to the restaurant, they refused to check in at the host stand, skipped waiting customers, and sat themselves across multiple tables. Eventually, the police were called, and after refusing to leave, four people ended up being arrested. Yeah! yeah. Do it! Throw the book at them, or the menu for the Cheesecake Factory. It's thicker. <laughs> but there is some good news in the world of COVID, or at least some adorable news, because researchers are training dogs to sniff out COVID from old socks. <laughs> it's a smart idea, much better than training cats to do it. <laughs> cats can detect if you have COVID, but they won't tell you because they want you dead. <laughs> We've got a great show for you tonight. So many, so many great things. So many great guests. We'll talk about that in a second. Now, normally, normally right now, at the end of the monologue, we would go to a commercial break, but I've got a personal question. I need an honest answer from y'all. Would you rather have commercials or more show? More show! Okay. Even if the more show is basically also a commercial? Okay, you're the boss. <laughs> Say hi to John Baptiste and stay human while I cross over here. <laughs> more show Very for sweet. you. Yes, indeed. We love it. John, what do I got here? John, yeah. I, I, I am talking this evening. I am talking this evening to two towering individuals. Oh, yeah. You a fan of Denzel Washington? Oh, my goodness. Denzel. The greatest. Legend. One of the greatest living actors alive. Absolutely. Greatest actors alive. And we have Maggie Gyllenhaal here tonight. That's a two for you on the movie. Got a good vibe her in new movie. Tonight. I've seen her new movie, The Lost Daughter. Uh -huh. Unbelievable. Um, oh, yes. It almost makes me angry mm. that this is her first movie to ever adapt and direct. It's mm. extraordinary. Wow. There has to be something she's not good at. We're going to find out. <laughs> Folks, tonight's more show is brought to you by Google's Year in Search, their annual short film that I'm about to show you and which explores the past year's biggest Google search trends. Google even sent over some trending searches about yours truly. In 2021, some of the most frequent searches about me were, and they tell me this is true, how old is Stephen Colbert? <laughs> I'm 57. How tall is Stephen Colbert? I'm 5'11". And how send photos to Stephen Colbert show? <laughs> oh, it easy send photos to show. Or paint picture on cave wall. <laughs> but this year, one big trend emerged in the Google scape. People want to heal. Some of the trending searches from 2021 included when can I get the vaccine, how to stay strong, and what is my purpose? This year, I've often wondered that same thing. So I Googled what is my purpose before the show, and the answer was to bank some coin for CBS by doing product placement. <laughs> well, Turns out the theme of 2021's Google Year in Search is healing. We have a lot to heal from. The pandemic, job stress, shortages, Jurgen getting kicked off the great British baking show right before the finale. I saw it coming, but I still wasn't ready. <laughs> 2021 was so rough, it made 2020 look like 2019. <laughs> and it left all of us searching for answers. Here's a look at how we searched this year. This year has been extremely challenging for me. I am broken. And I am healing. 
I'm here at the memorial wall. I wanted to do something to remember my mum. For some reason, I'm having anxiety. Obviously, it's normal with everything that's going on right now. I think I'm going to take a break for a while. You can get through it, and if you can get through it, there's a greater reward on the other side. Just like anybody else, you know, I'm just trying to do my little part to try and save my community. I'm just really excited we're back open. And I am smiling under my mask. Incredible scenes on the day the fans came back. Welcome back to the theater. You guys, it's been so long. You're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're just like, there I am. Be your best. Never, ever, ever stop dreaming. I don't care what they tell you. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count three, find the defendant guilty. I am proud to be Asian! We are not drowning, we are fighting. We cannot keep quiet about climate injustice. No action is too small. We just have to band together as a community and get people's lives back. Even as we grieved, we grew, that even as we hurt, we hoped, that even as we tired, we tried, that we'll forever be tied together, victorious. Thank you, Google. Matt, that right there, That was more show. Folks, not only has it been a heck of a year, it's also been a heck of a decade, a heck of a century, for that matter, a heck of a millennium. So we here at The Late Show are about to take a much-needed holiday break. The only thing I regret about it is that it means I won't be on the air next week to celebrate the 20th anniversary of The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, which which also yeah. happens to be the 20th anniversary of me not shutting up about the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> the Fellowship of the Ring. It was 20 years ago this Sunday that this movie kicked off my favorite film series of all time. And what I want to know is, where the hell are the celebrations? How is it possible that we are not marking it as a people? Harry Potter is getting a giant 20th anniversary special with a full cast reunion. Seriously? Harry Potter's fine, but it's no Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I mean, Dumbledore couldn't take a Balrog. Dumbledore was killed by a high school chemistry teacher. <laughs> so I think Peter Jackson's towering achievement deserves the same kind of treatment, because if you ask me, there is no better film series. Lord of the Rings is, without a doubt, the greatest trilogy in movie history. And I know... <laughs> I know I may have said that many times before, but I have never, not once, Wrapped it. <laughs> Until now. <laughs> Jimmy, jam me. Lord of the Rings number one trilogy of all time sucks. It's the number one trilogy, the number one trilogy. Try to deny and you just sound silly. Worldwide gross of almost three billy. Sixteen times what they made on free willy. You wills. Best triple feature, hell yeah, we would win it. We got the only trilogy with everything in it. Don't believe me? You could check for yourself. The Godfather doesn't even have one, no. CGI, oh my god, yeah, we have that. 
Andy Circus doing work as motion capturing it. Star Wars is better, you make me sick. Jar Jar can go ahead and suck my ring. Lord of the Rings is the number one trilogy. Ask Tom on a hand, or you can ask Billy. Sean Astin's here too. Why wow, that's actually silly. Will Elijah Wood join us? I don't know, really. Visit human hobbits of the Shire Bring the ring to Mount Doom And I throw it in the fire Such a good trill that I wish they made for though Two spells of better threesome than your favorite porno A strider, some riders, golem, a spider We got a great wizard and we got one that's wider Best trill ever, baby, don't you forget That's right, and a Kendrick pitch perfect day What the hell? I we were friends, damn That's scary, he's hairy Ooh, eagles in the airy Yeah, Vigo knows. Dude lost a tooth and he broke two toes. Number one, Trilly, head of the class. You think any different, you can kiss my ass. I ain't taking no questions, so you best not ask. Test me, mother and you shall not pass. Lordy, Lordy, we won some awards, B. Cutting down pretenders like Aragorn swore, G. 17 Oscars, that's king forever. That's more than these three mother put together effects impeccable costumes unassailable i'm only on this song because ian mckellen's unavailable show him mike back to the future oh you got a delorean we got sexy elf all over lavlorian an archaeologist sorry i'm snoring it's indiana jones in the temple of boring billionaire fights crime i don't understand her the dark knight's capitalistic propaganda and hockey ain't <laughs> the mighty ducks and i know it's five movies but twilight sucks anakin the women are gorgeous, the fellas are cute. Let my man rap in Elvish while Circus plays the flute. Tolkien and Yangomo are out and this is Harigar XNL and Yangnar, Aqua Cantalamar. Blade, we matta, Bevliam Boreva, Lauli, Ida Vinci, Sarati, Dan Brown, Quetavera, Lambia, Vevihida. Yeah, Equin Singh. Lord of the Rings is the number one trilly. Movie so sick, I gotta take an ad, Billy. When I'm sipping down the dillies, sipping chamomilies. Lord of the Rings is the number one trilly. But I will admit, the Naked Gun movies are pretty great. Lord of the Rings is the number one trilly. Ask anybody and they know the dilly. From Jackson Billy to Manila Philly. Ask all the fishes, the seaweed, the trilly. Lord of the Rings is the number one trilly. Lord of the Rings is the number one trilly. Lord of the Rings is the number one trilly. Trilly, trilly, trilly. The official, exclusive Lord of the Rings 20th anniversary celebration. The one celebration to rule them all. Thank you, Elijah Wood, Sean Astin, Billy Boyd, Dominic Monaghan, Hugo Weaving, Andy Serkis, Orlando Bloom, Vigo Mortensen, Method Man, Killer Mike, and Anna Kendrick. And thank you, Sir Peter Jackson, and a happy 20th anniversary to all who made this movie and all who celebrated. Coming up, Denzel Washington. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My first guest tonight is a two-time Academy Award winner, a Tony winner, and an all-around legend. Please welcome back to The Late Show, the one, the only, Denzel Washington. <laughs> Lovely to have you back, not just on the show, but on a, on a proper Broadway stage yes. here. You're no stranger to trotting the boards. And, and started that right here trotting in... Trotting the boards. Trotting the boards, you know, you know. The boards, the theater boards. There you go. And started doing so when you were in college at Fordham. Uh-oh. Okay, here you go. Oh. There's your first production in college, right? Eugene O'Neill's The Emperor Jones. There you are. Freshman. I know. I was a uh, junior. Junior, junior. I thought I was supposed to act mean and be serious. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything, do you have any advice for this, uh, what, 20-year-old, 21-year-old, something like that? You have any advice for this kid right here? Because he seems pretty confident already. <laughs> Thank you. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> I didn't. That was the first uh, leading role I ever played, and uh, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I'd go out and peek, look at the audience, and, you know, count, see if my mom was out there or something. But uh, yeah. how often was your mom? Every time. Every night. That's what moms do. That's, That's what moms, moms do. do. That's nice. That's what moms do. Now, you're in the uh, new film adaptation uh, of, uh, well, what we'll call the Scottish play. Right, Macbeth. You know, yeah, exactly. You can say it. Right. And um, directed by Joel Cohen, uh, co-starring uh, Francis McDormand. Extraordinary. Um, First of all, there is, for people who don't know, there is a uh, tradition, a superstition, not to say the name of that play you want to say it. You mean Macbeth? Yes. Not to say the name of that play in a theater because it's bad luck. Did you, were you taught that? I'm tradition? a God-fearing man. I don't play that, man. I don't. <laughs> nah, that's a superstition. All right. I don't believe in ghosts. Fine. Macbeth, 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 Macbeth. Okay. Okay. So you've played who a lot. Who started that? Who's I don't, uh, probably someone who didn't do well in Macbeth. <laughs> Probably. Blamed it on a superstition. Probably. You've done a, a, a fair amount of Shakespeare at this point. You've been uh, in Othello, Richard II, Coriolanus, Julius Caesar, Much Ado About Nothing. I may have, I may with, have Keanu. with Keanu. With um, Keanu. What was your What was your first uh, encounter with Shakespeare? First time having to read it or, or, or perform it? What was your first Othello? Time? After I did uh, the Emperor Jones, mm -hmm. I played Othello at Fordham University as well, where he was younger than than uh, than everyone else in the in the cast. Some people, when they first come to Shakespeare, have trouble cracking it, like cracking the meaning open. Right. Like every sonnet is almost like this little box you have to open and, and completely so you can understand it. What's your process like to work on Shakespearean? Monologues and that sort of. Thing. I was at the. Uh, I went to Fordham University in the Bronx for two years, and then down Lincoln Center for two years. And uh, Lincoln Center, at the Lincoln Center Library, they had records of mm -hmm. the.
plays. Mm -hmm. So they had Olivier as Othello. <laughs> so I'd put the headphones on, you know, oh, my lord. Yeah. <laughs> I'd different... sit there and I'd go, oh, my lord. <laughs> you know, ignorance is bliss. I didn't know. I was like, okay, I'll sing it like this. And sure. Make it happen. And it, people seem to like it. Have you gotten advice from any uh, sort of a well-known Shakespearean performers when you were younger to give you an entrance into it? Like, this is how you do it, or, or this is don't worry about the singing, or forget the meter? Like, has anybody given you any advice? Uh, I'm sure, yeah. Yes, yes. That's all would I wanted like to, to know. I, I would like, that's all I want to know is that someone gave you advice. I hope they did. I, I... Would you like to give me some advice? I would like for you to give me some advice. About Shakespeare? Yes. I don't... I've, never, I've never performed Shakespeare except Now's like in time. an acting Now's class. Now's the time. <clears throat> now is speaking, the winter... Oh. Speak it trippingly on the tongue. But if That's, you mouth it... Mouth it... As many of your players do. Do, okay, exactly. Do not saw the air thusly. With your head... But use all wisely, for in the very torrent tempest, as I may say, whirlwind of your fashion. <laughs> Uh, I do, I do. I don't I know do, where I found that one. I, I found do, it. I do know tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in its petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. <laughs> out, out, brief candle. Life's but a... Mm. Walking shadow. shadow uh... A poor player who struts and frets his hour upon the stage and is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, but okay. Okay. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about Macbeth for a second. That was great. What, man. what do you think's going on with Macbeth? That is the most. That is the most. That is the best encapsulation of a feeling of depression that anyone has ever written. That one little speech that I just did. He wants it. He wants it. He's due. He's overdue. He wants to be king. He's supposed to be king. It's good to be king. And what about him and Lady Macbeth? Is that a good relationship? <laughs> I'm just curious. Well, like, as an actor, well, do you like to investigate, like, okay, do we... Because she's certainly known for pushing him, you know? Screw your courage to the sticking post. Like, you know, ahead. to, like... She's pushing him. Go be king. Go be king. Right. But is it a good... Do they have a loving relationship? Do you guys... Fran you and Francis talk about that? It, Yes. We changed the line that talked about uh, their ability to, her ability to have children. Mm -hmm. she, couldn't, she could not have an heir. She could not have a child. Mm -hmm. And that was a frustration of hers. And, uh, you know, like I said, we are up in years. And uh, we felt like it was our turn. And most importantly, he dived into the dark side. He listened to the devil. He listened to the witches. He listened to those people, and uh, they took him down. We have to take a quick break, uh, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Mr. Denzel Washington, everybody. Enjoying this episode of The Late Show Pod Show? Then head to cohst.app slash late show or visit the link in the description to fill out our quick two-minute survey all about getting to know you.
your mother this year. Yeah, at the age of yeah. 97. 97. 97. It was a great blessing to have your mother so long. She didn't get cheated, nor did my brother and my sister and I. You said that um, a mother is a son's first love. Mm. And I'm curious, how do you honor that love and her love for you and her memory with your work? A mother is a son's first true love. A son, especially that first son, is a mother's last true love. That's, I'm getting choked up. Sorry. Ah! But, tomorrow, mm -hmm. and tomorrow, and tomorrow. My wife, that loves you. You know when I knew that? When I saw my son, John David Washington, handle my wife. I don't care what he does. She's going, all right, baby. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? <laughs> well, Ma, I, I think I got rid of six of them. Well, just give me the clothes and bring me all the stuff. And that's when I realized, you know, really, really, that, that, that bond. And, you know, she was there for everything. And uh, she went home. Got a tissue. I got a tissue. Oh, for you got a... got a tissue for you. There you go. There you go. Here's your mother. This is the 1990 Academy Awards. <laughs> Best Supporting Actor for Glory. This is terrible. And, oh, and, and uh, didn't, didn't cry at a funeral. Why do you think? I don't know. I, I guess I saved it up for you. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about this confidence, this guy, his confidence right here. Right. Sigmund Freud, who had his faults, said that a, a son who believes himself to be his mother's favorite has a lifelong confidence that nothing can shake. Wow. I don't know if I was a favorite. I, I gave it the hardest time, I can tell you that. <laughs> I gave her a hard time. Well, Denzel, it was really wonderful to see you again. Thanks so much for coming. My here. pleasure. Hug them, love them. I know it well. You know it well. You've I been down that well. road? Yeah, a couple yeah. times. Yeah, hey. Thank you, Denzel. Up next, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Hey, everyone. It's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate, though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week, I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. My next guest is an actor you know from Secretary, Crazy Heart, and The Dark Knight. She's now written and directed her first feature film, The Lost Daughter. They really put us through it, huh? I thought 
thought you said you were pregnant with your first. I am. What were your daughters like when they were little? Were, were they like this willful little creature? I honestly, I can't remember much, actually. Oh, no, you can't forget anything about your own children. Is that your experience? I just mean, did your daughters give you a hard time when they were little? I just don't remember. You okay? She doesn't remember. I was very tired. So, excuse me. Please welcome back to The Late Show, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you. I'm I'm so glad you're here, and I'm so glad we have a chance to talk about this movie, which I, I cannot recommend highly enough. Thank it's, you. It's, it not only is an extraordinary directorial and uh, and screen adapting screenwriting adapting debut, but the performances are fantastic. Um, uh, Olivia Coleman, uh, Jesse Buckley. Um, it, it's it is a beautiful and and heartrending. Uh, and mysterious depiction of motherhood and one woman's reaction to that, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But but first, you've been acting since you were a kid. Wh when did you say, okay, I'm going to be a director? Has this been a long-time thing? You know, I think now that I've made a film, I, I realize I was always a director. And when I was acting, I mean, I love acting and I miss acting and it's been a long time. I mean, it was since the deuce. I haven't acted in anything. Well, as a director, you could cast yourself, you know. It's true, which is nice. <laughs> which is nice. Take out the middleman. Um, but I was always like banging up against something. You know, I was always wanting more than I was able to express as an actress. And you know, also there's this thing, I read this thing that supposedly Meryl Streep said, I don't know if she did, she'll tell us now, probably, sure. if we say it on Colbert, but, um, but that, that, um, that if you're an actress and you have an idea and you need it in order to get your work done, offer it up with a spoonful of sugar. And I, I think it's really good advice, and I took that advice for most of my life, but it's a lot of work. The sugar part. Yeah, the sugar part. And, you know, even then, you probably get what, 40% of what it is you wanted to express actually in the film, whereas mm -hmm. as a director, it's all, it's all in there, <laughs> you know, which is terrifying. My movie comes out in a couple days, you know. It's scary to have it all out there, but um, it also feels great because it is, it is what I meant to say. This movie talks about motherhood, especially young motherhood, in a way that you don't ordinarily see. It, it's, and it is about love. But it's also about the difficulty, and and in certain in a certain sense, and correct me if I'm wrong here, one woman's ambivalence about her role as a mother. Yeah. You don't see that depicted on screen. There's either like a bad mother or a good mother. Yeah. Well, I have lots of thoughts about this. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> share a few. Okay. Share a few. Okay. <laughs> I think when we're little. Our survival depends on our parents, and maybe in particular our mothers, mm -hmm. because they're feeding us from their bodies, mm -hmm. wanting nothing more than, or our fantasy, that they want nothing more than to take care of us. Mm -hmm. Because our, very, our actual survival depends on it, when in fact, they're us. 
they like also want to have a drink sometimes and they also like want a night with their husband or wife and they also want to work and they want ma many things like we do. And to be away from you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I think there's a part of us that can barely bear to acknowledge how that, that parenthood, no matter what, includes ambivalence. Mm -hmm. And I mean, my film... We can't bear it as parents, but we also can't bear it as children to think that our parents maybe didn't need us as much as we needed them all the time. Well, yeah, I mean, also, there's nowhere to talk about all the feelings of ambivalence that we have as parents, but not just ambivalence. I mean, I think, like, look, parenting is incredible. I would, look, I have a chance to make a movie about anything I want, and it's, like, all about motherhood. I mean, well, it's about other things, too, but mm -hmm. it's, that's a huge aspect of who I am. There's, I love my children, but, like, it's a, it's a, very complicated experience, right? I mean, and mostly, if it doesn't fit inside this very narrow space that we've agreed we're allowed to talk about, then they say something's wrong with you. But in fact, how can you be a parent as anything other than a beginner? Right? You, you, you know, they're like, here, here, <laughs> sure. you know? And sure, well, there is that feeling when you get the baby, it's like, no, 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 there's a mistake. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Well, yes, it's designed to include failure. And if it includes failure, it will also include growing. But growing hurts. Sure, <laughs> you know? and you're, you're, you're failing at this precious thing, which is developing another human being. As you're growing, as sure. you're loving, as you're all of this. But so, if we can include terror, real anxiety, despair, along with like the heart-wrenching ecstasy, mm on either sides of the experience mm -hmm. that we're all allowed to talk about, I think, I think it'd be, I think it's comforting to mm -hmm. sort of go, you're not the only person that ever had these feelings, you know? And, and you are certainly not the only person who's ever had these feelings because this is based on the novel, The Lost Daughter by Elena Ferrante. And, I'm, and for people who don't know, people don't know who Elena Ferrante is. She is sort of a mysterious figure in many ways. Yeah. There's a lot of mystery about who she is. She, she's anonymous. Yes, it's a anonymous. pen name. And she's written all these books that everyone's freaking out about, that, that they're going, oh my God, you're speaking to me. No one's ever said this before. And her books are flying off the shelves. But, but how do you, if she's anonymous, if no one who she is, how do you, you wrote her a personal letter. How do you address something? Someone who's like, like Santa Claus. Oh yeah. <laughs> Dear Elena Ferrante, I've been very good this just year. Cross your fingers. <laughs> well, she 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 gave you permission to make it and actually told you to do it your own way. Yeah. Which was an incredibly generous thing for her to do. Yeah. And she said this recently in an interview about having seen the film. She says, to tell you the truth, I liked the whole film. Gyllenhaal makes true cinema. She trusts the images. Every movement of the characters is ambiguous, reveals and hides, hides and reveals. Thus the story flows and yet sinks into its dark sides, digs within. Yes, it's a great job. How does that feel? <laughs> well, you know, because, because Elena Ferrante is, is anonymous, and because her book is just so good, um, she has been this kind of fantasy, feminine, cosmic, like, thing out in the universe for me. Because also, let me just say, the movie, yes, it is a lot about mothering, but it's also in general, and the book too, about like a real 
articulation of what it's like to be a woman in the world, mm -hmm. as a lover, as a, as a thinker, as an artist, and as a mother. She's been so honest about these things. And then, right, she, I don't know who she is, so she can just be whoever I need her to be. And when I asked her for the rights, I, I don't know if you know this, I, I, I wrote to her, Santa Claus, you know, I wrote to her and, and I said, I, I want to direct it and, and I, I would like the rights and this is why. And she said, yes, you can have the rights, but the contract is void unless you direct it. So, so even though I had wanted to direct it, and it was like, you know, new for me and scary for me, here comes this like vote of confidence from out in the cosmos somewhere. Then, yeah, then she wrote this other piece in The Guardian saying, take it and make it yours. That it's important that it be good and that the only way that it will be good is if it's, if it's mine. And... And I did that. And then she writes this piece in The New Statesman. And I was doing an interview, and someone uh, who was overseeing the interview said, you might want to read The New Statesman. <laughs> and I just took it out onto the balcony of this hotel I was staying in and just like stood there reading this piece. Because it's, it's, it's not just that she liked it. Like, she saw it. I'm happy for you. <laughs> I really, I'm happy for you. That's Thank wonderful. You. Maggie, it's wonderful to see you again. Yeah, Thank you so for the nice film. This has been the Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Watch the Late Show with Stephen Colbert weeknights at 11:35, 10:35 Central on CBS and Paramount Plus. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Late Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more.